Hey y'all, and welcome to Southern Fried Spooky, the podcast home of all things Southern Spooky, and this week, Crypto Biological. Woohoo! I'm your Carolina girl, Heather. And I'm your Florida man, Tony. We'd like to invite you to our social media porch. Come on up and sip some five-star reviews. Kind of pushing the metaphor, am I not? Indeed. (laughs) Visit us on Facebook and leave a comment. Join our Facebook. Yes. We actually had someone do that and talk to us. It was exciting. Um, Also, Patreon. That's still a thing. So today we decided to start something a little new and different. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes we want to talk cryptids, but there's not enough for one full episode. At least not for us. So we're going to do something we're calling Cryptid Catalog. Uh Now, for those of you who really like cryptids, there is another podcast out there called Cryptid Keeper, which I enjoy. But it seems to include cryptids and urban legends and mythological things. It has a lot of stuff. But we're going to stick to just the known, even if they're disproved, cryptids of the South. Is that okay with you? Do you like that? Okay, good. What do you think, Tony? Um... Yeah, no, I, I I like the idea. I really do. <laughs> You're not even paying attention. He's reading ahead. So we're going to start... No, I'm trying to identify that word. Ah, well, we'll get there. Yes. it's very, This is where my French major moment shines. Yes, it's your time to shine. Go, it baby, go. It is. We're going to start in Louisiana. Yeah. According to Barry Jean Ancelet, or Ancelet, if you don't want to do the French pronunciation, an academic expert on Cajun folklore and professor at the University of Louisiana at Lafayette, or as I say, Lafayette, the tale of the Rougarou is a common legend across French Louisiana. Now, Rougarou represents a variant pronunciation and spelling of the original French, Lougarou. Yeah, see, that's what I was trying to get. Some people call the monster Rougarou, which just sounds kind of silly, but that's... Yeah. French major in me. And the others prefer the original French Lougarou. Well, Lougarou, like L-O-U-P, doesn't that mean wolf? It does. And Garou, is that like... As I understand, that whole, that word encapsulates the entire phrase of man transforming. So, so werewolf. Werewolves. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> werewolf. Werewolf? There. What? Werewolf. There, castle. Why are you talking that way? I thought you wanted to. No, I don't want to. Suit yourself. I'm easy. Both words are used interchangeably in southern Louisiana. Although relatively common across the French-speaking or Francophone world, like so many things, it appears to have gained particular prominence in the swamps of Louisiana. The legend of the Rougarou... I don't have a Cajun accent, sorry. Yeah. Has been a part of Cajun folklore for centuries. It's said to have originated in French-Canadian folklore brought to Louisiana by French settlers who migrated to the area in the 18th century. Now, I recently heard on Queer Eye, if you just watched the most yeah, recent yeah, series, right. they're in New Orleans. Cajun is country and Creole is city, at least when we're talking food. I'm not sure if that applies to all the rest of the culture, but it's a thought. So according to legend, the Rougarou is a human who has been cursed, transforming into a terrifying creature with the body of a man and the head of a wolf or dog. 
Well, what if it was the opposite? That would look very weird. What if it was like a man walking around, or like a dog walking around with a guy's head being like, Oh my god, help me! (laughs) Or if it really was a dog and it was just like, you know, every car that goes by, Hey! Hey! (laughs) He got the bad end of the curse. The witch was just really bad at her job. It's like the guy who sculpted the aerial but did the fish top half and human legs. Oh, north of the border? Yeah. Yes. Terrifying. Yeah, some things are just true abominations. The creature, according to Cajun legends, is said to prowl the swamps around Acadiana and greater New Orleans and the sugarcane fields and woodlands of the regions. Mm-hmm. Now, often the tales have been used to inspire fear and obedience. Not to interrupt, I've seen some of the things that come out of cane fields and it is creepy. So, children of the corn is not scary enough. We need children of the cane. Where I where I was born is a little place called Pahokee, Florida. That sounds small and sad. Indeed. But it's surrounded by cane fields. Ooh. Because U.S. Sugar owns all the area. Oh, okay. I'm assuming that probably back in the day it was a plantation or a series of them. Something or like that, yeah. Something like that. Not to mention, on the outside of that, it's Quakers, though. Not the... Not the people, the company. Oh. Quaker Oats. (laughs) Gotcha. Quaker Oats. Thank you for clarifying that. I would be like, what an odd place to find Quakers. Anyway, every end of the season, they burn the sugar cane. Uh Uh-huh. That must smell interesting. Oh, and we're we're talking black snow. Like, you will be outside and it's like snowflakes, but... It's all ash? It's all ash. Of the cane stalks, I guess? It is one of the coolest and yet creepy things I've ever experienced in my life. Ooh. Like, experiencing an entire city that's covered in smoke and ash falling. Like London in the Industrial Revolution. Or Silent Hill. Or Centralia, Pennsylvania. Yeah! But anyway... You were saying? There are these, uh, for lack of better words, rats. And I mean bull terrier-sized rats. They are call them the cane nu- rats. Are these the, are black? No, are no, these related these are, to nutria? These are not nutria. These are rats. Oh. These are just big-ass rats. Ew. And they will just come running through yards and stuff. Especially is, if the field's on fire, yes, I Yes, they. I mean, like, just looking out and seeing, like, nine or ten of them bounce through your yard, crazy. <laughs> Ew. Yes. Now, do you have any feeling that perhaps that is the provenance of the Rougarou, or are we not? <laughs> or are there other creepy things that could be in there? I mean, have you ever seen a nutria? Those things are I huge. have not. You've told me about these rodents of unusual size. OESs? Pretty much. Yes. Um, they sound terrifying. I'm glad they're fairly docile. Oh, yes, yes. They're actually quite amiable. <laughs> That's good, because they're they're big. Yeah. They're, I mean, not like capybara big, but... Well, I mean, and they also get this really bad rap because they look evil and violent, but... So do you. Well, sorry. But <laughs> they have these huge jutting teeth like rats, the two big uh, chompers up front. Like a beaver. Except they're blood red. That's disconcerting. They're blood red because of the keratin they have to maintain oh. to keep their body going. Okay. Yeah, so they're not as violent as people portray them to be. They have scared the crap out of me, but I've never had a problem out of them. <laughs> they just startle you? Yes. So, going back yeah. to the probably less frightening now, Rougarou. <laughs> I was saying, yeah. the tales have been used to inspire fear and obedience. Kind of the boogeyman of the swamps. Which you don't really need because there's plenty of things in the swamps, as we have just mentioned, 
That seems to be kind of terrifying. Yeah, well, if you get some guy going, if you don't go to bed, the alligator will come out and get you. Like, that's that's a little threatening. I, I bet. Did your parents do this? No. Okay, just checking. They were always like, don't swim in the lake, you'll get eaten by an alligator. Yeah. I yeah. mean, they weren't wrong. Yeah, as a public service announcement to anyone who doesn't live in this region, if you can't see the bottom of the water, don't get in it. Please, don't allow your children and or pets to play in the water when you don't know what's in there. Go to a swimming pool. Yes. Water moccasins, and lakes and, yeah, no. water moccasins and alligators uh, and freshwater eels and garfish and sturgeon, these things can hurt and or kill those creatures and people you put in the water. Yeah, it, yeah. we run into this a lot with people who come in from way out west or way up north. It's like, no, 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 don't go in there. Yes, do, do not go in there. <laughs> it's pretty, look at a distance. Yes. It's just like, I will fully admit, I have no idea how to drive in the snow. I wouldn't attempt it. <laughs> well, yeah. I, we don't get it much here. So one such example of the boogeyman of the swamps yeah. is this wolf-like beast. will hunt down, and this is very specific, hunt down and kill Catholics who do not follow the rules of Lent. Is this like the giant cat that will hunt down people for Christmas if they don't wear new clothes? <laughs> I, I think it rather is. So this obviously coincides with the French Catholic Lou Garou stories. Yeah. According to which the method for turning into a werewolf is to break Lent seven years in a row. Oh, also the Rougarou is mentioned as having come to Dakota consciousness from Ojibwe folktales. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure why the word is so similar. What figures in the narrative of Peter Mathiasen's In the Spirit of Crazy Horse. Just thought I'd toss that in there. Oh, yeah. Rougarou itself is not actually a Native American word, but rather a pronunciation of Rougarou. A French word, yeah. Mm-hmm. So some stories about the Rougarou come from French werewolf legends, and some are adaptions of the Algonquin, will not say the W, w word. W word. <laughs> Go back to, I forget when we talked, the Window Goat. Window Goat. Um, legends about man-eating ice monsters, and some are combinations of the two. Yeah. In most Rougarou legends, a metis, especially in Western Canada, a person of mixed indigenous and Euro-American ancestry, Mm. in particular one of a group of such people who, in the 19th century, constituted the so-called Metis or Metis nation in the areas around the Red and Saskatchewan rivers. Just thought I'd toss that in there, because I didn't know. Yeah. So a person is turned into a Rougarou. By catching sight of another Rougarou, not being bitten by one, as in French werewolf legends, or committing sins of cannibalism, or greed, as in the Algonquin window window goat legends. Yes. So So. (laughs) the W word is, in most legends, uh, committing cannibalism. That it would is, make sense. It's, yeah, that's definitely a way to end up becoming the W word. Yeah, and if you're just tuning in and haven't caught our whole episode on the W word, Tony here is kind of listened to stories of the W word. There's a reason we don't say it, because if you say the name out loud, at least as far as that culture is concerned, it seems to summon the creature. So just in case we don't say the word. Now, keep in mind, I'm not a superstitious person. Oh, I know. And, you know, of course, I'm like, yeah, I, yeah, I get it. It's, it's essentially, uh, it's essentially saying don't commit cannibalism. That's what, that's what it's, yeah. it's, it's one of those things of, you know, the, the A cautionary the, the, kind yeah, of, yeah, the, the cautionary tale, but I'm still one of those things of, even though I may not fully 100% believe it, I don't want to play with it. <laughs> Just in case. Just in case. Some stories 
described the Rougarou as having a human-like face with a snout, which if you think about it, sort of sounds like Gelflings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, because they look sort of human until they turn. And or Who's from Whoville. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you're very right. While others depict it with the full head of a wolf. And it's described as a large muscular creature with fur the color of charcoal. I I just expected like a naked man with a wolf's head running down the street going, <laughs> <laughs> Its eyes are said to glow in the dark, which I suppose is true of most, most nocturnal most animals. animals, yes. Not so much glowing as reflecting, but... And it has long, sharp teeth and claws because, of course, of course it would. Now, it's known to attack and kill livestock and even people. It's also suggested that it possesses the power to curse those who see it. Sounds sort of banshee-like. Right. These unfortunate... Bringing that that up, Hmm. that whole... I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie Darby O'Gill and the Little People. People our age are still traumatized by it. It's like that and Wizard of Oz. There are certain scenes in the films we grew up in that were terrifying. Darby O'Gill... With the banshee scared the crap out of me when I was little. Me too. And don't ever Gillis or just O'Gill? No, it's Darby O'Gill and the little people. Okay. Yeah. The banshee was scary. Yes. And you know, that people wonder why we like our generation is the way it is. And it is because (laughs) of the movies. Like, dude, we grew up with the children's films like Darby O'Gill and the Little People. Watership down. Do not watch that. That I mean it's beautiful, but damn. That movie is just it is anxiety on speed. Right. It is ridiculous. And then we have movies like Dark, Fox and the Hound. Dark Crystal. Dark Crystal. Like, the things that, like... Did you ever see Dot and the Kangaroo? Yes. That was also kind of, And, you know, Last Unicorn. The Last Unicorn. These were things, like, adult-level uh, theories and, and elements in there. Yeah. Lots of violent... Well... Deeply frightening and violent moments. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I don't. I feel like we are not inured to it, but it made an impression, and I think that is just absent from well, so I, many I also films that the kids watch now. I also grew up with cartoons like things that Ralph Bakshi did, like um, Fritz the Cat. Oh, and yeah, Wizards and okay, Fritz Heavy the Cat Metal. Was pornographic. Yeah, those are. Fairly nigh like R slash X rated. Well, he was the first one to say cartoons should not only be for kids. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like puppets. Yeah. Really. So yeah, but we grew up with that. So I think we're we're kind of I don't know. It's almost like we grew up like hard. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> A little like, bit. Yeah. Like, emotionally, we grew up getting beat down. So we're just like, yeah, deal with it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Any one of us who is like grown up and seen Neverending Story and and know about the swamps of sadness. I mean. Yeah. Well, the book it's, was worse. The the pain is real. The, that like in the movie, he's just what was the name of the horse? Artax. Artax. He's like Artax. No, and then sad moment. But in the book, Artax is actually speaking to him. Yes, he can talk. So that was a little aside. Sorry yeah, about but that. Sorry, just giving you a reason why we're kind of emotionally hardened. <laughs> we're Gen X. We stayed home alone and watched things like Watership Down, which yeah. was. The original, mind you. Yeah, not the new creator, not the CGI one that they just remade. Blah. <laughs> Sorry, rant over. The un- These unfortunates, I'm thinking of Ursula. Poor unfortunate soul. Will have a lifetime of bad luck and misfortune. According to legend, the only way to protect oneself from the Rougarou is to carry a piece of silver which will repel the creature. Bad luck, schlep rock. 
from the Flintstones, the guy who always had the cloud over his head. And I do not remember that wow. character. I missed him somehow. In recent years, um, there have been several reported sightings of the Rougarou, which makes me wonder what it is they're actually seeing. But yeah. In 2016, so eh, kind of recent, in Huma, Louisiana, there's a video posted online that shows what appears to be a large dark figure with glowing eyes just strolling through a residential neighborhood. I'm suddenly reminded of the movie Signs where the alien walks oh, yeah. out. Yeah. Well, there was that video that the that the guy shot in Canada where, you know, people were like, Oh, you know, wolves only reach a certain size. Well oh, the sort of dire wolf? Like he looked yeah, the the, the wolf alone, like, to its back is, like, five feet high. Yeah, it's and like, it's hard to tell until the guy's dog runs out. And the you can see in comparison, it's like, oh, this creature's huge. Yeah, this thing is gargantuan. It's, yeah, I mean... It's like Game it of Thrones dire wolf. Makes Great Danes look kind of small. Yeah. So shall we move on to Texas? Oh, we're in Texas now. Yes, through the magic of pure imagination. Our big and bright. Deep, deep in the heart of Texas. Texas. Anyway, go ahead. We apologize to yes. all Texans near and far. In Texan folklore, the Lake Worth monster is a legendary creature said to inhabit Lake Worth at the Fort Worth Nature Center and Refuge just outside of Fort Worth. <laughs> the, the Lake Worth creature inhabits Bob's Lake. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> In the middle of the lake is Greer Island, where okay. the monster was alleged I've, I've to have roamed. I've heard Greer Island before. Okay. Now, this creature, the Lake Worth monster, doesn't really describe it. Yeah. The creature is often described as part man, part goat, so pan, satyr, I don't know. I'm at, like, um, uh, uh, Gilmore de Toro. Pan's Labyrinth. Pan's Labyrinth, yeah. Okay. The fawn from Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, okay, fawn, good boy. But scales, fur, and long clawed fingers. So, biologically confused. The creature has has become known as Fort Worth's answer to Bigfoot. I'm curious if it has hooves or feet or flippers. I, I just don't know. Now, even today, stories of the monster... Like scuzzle butt. <laughs> we're not even going there. Also known as the Goat Man... Yes. ...can be heard around campfires in North Texas... And researchers have made documentaries and written books. Lakewood Brewing Company even decided to pay respect with a limited-release Goatman beer. Now, reports of sightings by locals of said cryptid in July 1969 (laughs) led, led to the belief that a mysterious creature lived in Lake Worth. On July 9th, specifically, a group of three couples was parked by a clearing. That would mean six people. Well done. Around midnight... Unless they were kind of into the kinky stuff and then was like 19 people. Around midnight, a beast leapt onto their car from the trees above. I'm ignoring you. The monster <laughs> tried to grab one woman out of the six or 19 people, but they sped off before it could take her away, the witnesses said. Newspapers reported the alleged sightings, including one in which it threw an automobile tire, that's hard to say, a car tire, at a group of people. Wow. I don't know why. Like, I've been hit with a tire at speed before, and it does not feel good. I can well imagine. You've led a strange and interesting life, sir. Indeed. Just gonna put that out there. According to Sally Ann Clark's book, The Lake Worth Monster of Greer Island, Fort Worth, Texas, that is a lot of commas, by the way. Yes. The monster jumped on the hood 
of a man's car. It really likes car, you know, sitting on hoods. The man I love your car. What is this, a 1999? <laughs> <laughs> well, not back in 69, yeah. but that's all right. The yeah. man reported that he and two other men were out on the island looking for the creature. How convenient for them. Well, how was their car out on the island? I don't ahead. know. Darn, now I'm, I'm wondering. When the creature landed on the hood, the man said that he swerved his car wildly about the road. Maybe he was just near the island. Maybe. Maybe the island's big. I don't know. And But the monster didn't let go until the man crashed into a nearby tree. I can only imagine what the insurance report on that was like. No, officer, those bottles were not open when we crashed. Even though it is limited edition Goatman beer. It was a Goatman, I promise. <laughs> he really likes hoods. Yeah. So the witness, Jim Stevens, reported that he himself was 6'4", because that's relevant, and the creature was easily much taller than he. Stevens claimed the monster was at least 7 feet tall, maybe taller. Me being 5'9", I can say that about most people. That's true. You're about average. At least height-wise. Yeah. Not everywhere. Newspapers also published a photograph purportedly taken of the creature by Alan Plaster... And locals began driving out to the lake at night to get a look at it. Yeah. Truckloads of men with guns. Doesn't that sound safe? Welcome to Texas. <laughs> Headed towards Greer Island to hunt the thing. Spectators came out in droves to try to catch a glimpse of it. Reporters swarmed in. And the police just tried to keep some measure of order out there. Yeah. Rick Pratt, unfortunate name, director of the Greer Island Nature Center at the time, remembers folks coming out with wine, whiskey, and beer, and basically having a party. Have a good time and hunt for the creature. Quote, Here was a Sasquatch, our very own, Pratt said. It was a party. What the hell? Let's go. End quote. Wow. <laughs> According to one reporter, the Goatman legend was spread via summer camp stories, you know, a fine traditional method of sharing tales, Yeah. where camp counselors told children to listen carefully and you'll hear his cry on clear nights like tonight. Sanctuary! Sanctuary! You're so weird. <laughs> In a later interview, Alan Plaster, remember him, yeah. commented on the photo described as a man-sized white furball that he took while driving past the Nature Center in 1969. I did look up the picture. It, it, yeah, it just, it's big and fuzzy and round. It does not look like anything So it just look like a giant cotton ball rolling down the road? Or? <laughs> Well, a little taller, like a person. So, but like, yes. are we talking about Lep Castle Elemental? No, Look no, no, it no. up. Oh, yeah, it's terrifying. Um, better yet, again, if you've ever watched those documentaries on Discovery, that's what we mean. No, this just looks like a very fluffy gorilla suit, I guess, and somewhat out of focus. There is some potato John, element. you left it in the dryer for too long. And what are we going to do now? <laughs> and there's definitely, it's like in grassy, reedy kind of terrain. Yeah. It's very odd looking. Anyway, the white furball. Yeah. Looks like a piece of pussy willow or something like that. <laughs> um, Plaster characterized the sighting as a prank, saying whatever it was, it wanted to be seen. Since reports of the monster ceased when school resumed, many suspected the incidents were pranks carried out by high school students. Would they do a thing like that? In 2005, a reporter at the Fort Worth Star-Telegram received an anonymous letter from someone claiming to be one of three high school classmates who in the summer of 69 decided to go out to Lake Worth and scare people. Using a tinfoil mask. Now, that is not what we see in the picture, but yeah, okay, whatever. And to answer your question, yes, yes, they would. Because I would. 
Yeah, I think you would have done that up until about five years ago, maybe. Yeah. Are you kidding? I'd probably do it now if I could get away with it. You'd probably get shot, though. Probably. In 2009, Fort Worth, Texas Magazine published a report about a man who said that he had been a perpetrator of the tire-throwing incident. Vinzins, as he was called, I don't know if that's a name, pseudonym, moniker, I don't know, admitted... It could be. He admitted in 2009 that he was involved with the tire throwing. Okay, we just said that. He claims that he was rolling a tire along. I envisioned like the kids rolling tires yeah. with, or wheels with hoops. Oh, wow. He was rolling that a tire along. hoop thing. Yeah, <laughs> and with some friends, and it hit a bump and went airborne and apparently went over a cliff <laughs> wow. and eventually landed very close to some bystanders. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. It's just like, how do you... It's like, oh yeah, well, we gotta take this tire back. We're gonna roll it. Oh crap, it got away! Vincent's, what did you do? Then like, off in the distance, you hear people screaming, Run, run! (laughs) (laughs) It's the monster! (laughs) Craig Woolheater, what's a great name there, was nine that summer. He was fascinated with monsters, dinosaurs, and UFOs. One of these is not like the other. However, he does sound like one of our kind of people. Yes. He clipped out newspaper stories about the Lake Worth monster scare and kept them in a scrapbook. Well, I mean, as most people who are interested in things like that do. Indeed. Nowadays, we put it on Pinterest, but close enough. Yeah. Years later, whilst driving through Louisiana, he saw something that changed him. In the headlights he saw, he said... The gray body of a huge primate on two legs. He became a believer and started the Texas Bigfoot Research Center in 1999 to study and educate people about the elusive creature. Yeah. Today, he lives in Mansfield, which sounds like it should be in England, and is a full-time cryptozoology blogger. Ah, the glamorous life he must live. Indeed. He believes the Lake Worth monster, I keep wanting to say Fort Worth, was a real creature like ones that have been spotted all over the country, stopping in the area because of the viable habitat. Mm. I personally think it's undiscovered, uncatalogued primate species that walks on two legs, said he. (laughs) Stories, well, end quote, new person. The stories, the lure, are enduring, said Michelle Villafranca, a natural resource specialist at the Fort Worth Nature Center and Refuge. Villafranca organizes a Lake Worth monster bash at the Nature Center in October to celebrate the monster. It was a mash. Sorry. Wow. Now I've got that song in my head. Thank you so much. For a lot of people who don't know what I'm talking about, look up the song Monster Mash. They better know. It it, still plays. It came out in what, the 70s? I haven't the faintest idea, honestly. Along with being in charge of land management at the park, she's become the go-to collector of all things monster since 2009. She also has a great collection of stamps, but <laughs> we don't talk about those. In 2009 was the 40th anniversary, so do the math. Yeah. The Fort Worth Nature Center and Refuge has held the Lake Worth Monster Bash every October. Mm-hmm. On the windowsill of her office is an empty bottle of Sierra Nevada Bigfoot Ale. <laughs> I wonder if she's got one of the Goatman. Anyway. That would be kind of cool. <laughs> she has a book written about the Lake Worth Monster filed on her bookshelf right next to her field guides of local mammals. We have alligator sighting report forms. We don't have any goat man sighting forms. Maybe we should start, Villafranca said. After all, he is North Central Texas fauna. Okay, do you want to do one more? Sure. Okay, this time, and I had heard this one a long time ago. We're this I'd to... never heard of. Really? Yes. Okay, we're going to Kentucky. Yes. 
and talking about the Hopkinsville Goblins. Uh, the local high school football team? <laughs> they really should adopt that name. So we're going to start out with a quote. I grew up in Kentucky and heard stories about the Kelly Green men. Kelly being a place. Yeah. Well, that does sound like they're a very specific shade of green. Yes. A.K.A. Hopkinsville Goblins. In 1955, two families were terrorized by aliens or goblins or something. Aliens. They were assumed to be aliens and are called the Kelly Green Men. Their skin was actually gray. There is also now a festival held in Kelly, Kentucky. And it's about these little green men? Yes. Okay. So, the Kelly of the Kelly Green... Hopkinsville. The Kelly Hopkinsville Encounter, also known as the Hopkinsville Goblins Case, or Kelly Green Men Case... Good Lord. ...was claimed... Was a claimed close encounter with the extraterrestrial beings in 1955. Yeah. It occurred near the communities of Kelly and Hopkinsville, imagine that, in Christian County, Kentucky. On the one hand... UFOologists, or UFOlogists, how do you say that? Yeah, I've always heard it UFOlogists. Okay. What is it? Ancient alien theorists. You're right. Ancient astronaut theorists. Yes. Regarded as one of the most significant and well-documented cases in the history of UFO incidents. Sort of I like, sort of doubt that. Sort of like the incident that happened in, like, South Africa? That, yeah, like, with like, all the kids. Yeah. The school kids. Now, skeptics say the reports were due to the, quote, effects of excitement and misidentification of natural phenomena, such as meteors or owls. Uh, those two do not belong together. Right. And the United States Air Force classified the alleged incident as a hoax in the Project Blue Book files. Indeed. So, which is it? We don't know yet. Psychologists have used the alleged incident as an academic example of pseudoscience to help students distinguish truth from fiction. Now I'm, little... I'm, I'm imagining Jonathan Frakes going, is this one fact or is it fiction? <laughs> <laughs> but this is kind of cool to my little academic language mind. Mm-hmm. This event is the origin of the popularization of the phrase little green men. Yeah. Prior to the sighting, flying saucer occupants were called little men. Little green men were limited to the science fiction culture, in particular the Mac Reynolds story, The Case of the Little Green Men, which is 1951, Yeah. and in Frederick Brown's Martians Go Home, 1955. The day following the alleged sighting, however, local reporters started to call the creatures little green men, and the words were soon reproduced in many newspapers, quoted on the radio, and translated into other languages. Hmm. Now, I think the film I associated most with that is... Do you remember Gremlins? Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure that's where we heard the... you know, And reports of... <laughs> little Green Men. Yeah. Now I'm suddenly envisioning Twilight Zone. Oh, yeah. With William Shatner. There's something on the wing. Some man, some... Thing. Okay, I think John Lithgow did it better. On the wing! Sorry. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and uh, keep in mind, I like William Shatner, but Lithgow nailed that part. Anyway, yeah. Kentucky. Kentucky. Sunday, August 21st, 1955, just after sunset, the Sutton family is sitting around their farmhouse in, village, in the village of Kelly. Mm-hmm. They're all green. Even now, Kelly seems to be little more than a church, a handful of houses, and a train crossing. About 15 minutes north of Hopkinsville on the Highway 41A. Yeah. Very specific. 
One of the Suttons goes out to get some water from the well, and he comes back with a story of seeing something weird in the sky. His family and compatriots blow him off, and then the house is attacked by a number of small, weird-looking humanoid creatures with sporks for hands. Not really, uh, uh, just descriptive. <laughs> wow. I don't think sporks existed yet. It was just a description. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, wow. Okay. Now, after a multi-hour gun battle, <laughs> now, I don't know if the aliens were firing back or what, but the families make a break for their cars. I am thinking of uh, birds. Yeah. The birds at the yeah. end where they sneak out. Anyway, they drive to Hopkinsville and, and report to the police that small creatures from a spaceship were attacking their farmhouse and that they'd been holding them off with gunfire for nearly four hours. Now, I'm imagining these two aliens who are hunkered down behind, like, an old torn-down, like, tractor or something going, Bob, you chose the worst place to land. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> two of the adults, Elmer Sutton, what a great name, and Billy Ray Taylor, worst neighborhood ever, <laughs> claim that they've been shooting at 12 to 15 short, dark figures who repeatedly popped up at the doorway and peered into the windows. <laughs> Hi, we're here to talk to you about Gleegark 7. Oh my god, blast them! <laughs> Concerned about a possible gun battle between local citizens, four city police officers, probably all of the ones that they had, five state troopers, three all deputy the sheriffs, had, yeah. and four military police officers from the nearby U.S. Army Fort Campbell, that's a lot of people, drove to the Sutton Farmhouse, they didn't just say, you're crazy, Located near the town of Kelly in Christian County. By the time they got there, there was little to see. Their search yielded nothing apart from evidence of gunfire and holes in windows and door screens made by the firearms. Imagine that. Whatever else we might say about what happened that night, the police who took the initial report and then went back to the house with them said the family was genuinely shaken. Something had happened to them. And plus, I'm thinking if that many people in uniform, including the U.S. Army went down there, somebody knew something was happening. Oh, yeah, probably. Now, okay, so, why would, no offense to the Sutton family, why would these people just open fire when there obviously was no firing back at them? It's just like... I don't know. That has not really been explained, like, why they suddenly decided to... Is it just one of those? Is it one of those South Park things of it's coming right for us and then start shooting? I have shooting no idea. Or? Well, we have a list of who was there. The yeah. residents of the farmhouse included Glennie Lankford, yeah, her children Lonnie, Charlton, and Mary, two sons from a previous marriage, Elmer Lucky Sutton, John Charlie J.C. Sutton, their respective wives Vera and Aline, Aline's brother O.P. Baker, wow, and Billy Ray Taylor. And his wife, too. This was a very full house. Why were there that many people at the house? I don't know. Both the Taylors, Lucky and Vera Sutton, that name does sound like a movie star, were reportedly itinerant carnival workers who were visiting the farmhouse. Okay. So I don't know if they were trying to say, like, they're carnies, don't trust them. I don't know. Now, the next day, neighbors told two officers that the families had packed up and left after claiming the creatures had returned about 3.30 in the morning. The family's claims received widespread coverage in local and national press. Now, estimates of the size of the alleged creatures varies from two to four feet, and details such as large pointed ears, claw-like hands, eyes that glowed yellow, and spindly legs 
sounds like Dobby. Yep. Later appeared. They, in were, very... they were attacked by house elves. <laughs> oh no! Wow. Psychologists Rodney Schmaltz. Wow. And Scott Lillianfield cite the alleged incident as an example of pseudoscience and an extraordinary claim to help students develop critical thinking skills. Although contemporary newspaper stories allege that all officials appear to agree there was no drinking involved, Schmaltz and Lillianfield suggest that intoxication may have played a part in the sighting. Just because they weren't drinking didn't mean they weren't high. (laughs) The Committee for Skeptical Inquiry member and skeptic Joe Nickel notes that the family could have misidentified eagle owls or great horned owls, which are nocturnal, fly silently because they're owls, have yellow eyes and aggressively defend their nests. Well, you have seen those great harpy owls, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Or harpy eagles. Yeah. According to Nickel, meteor sightings also occurred at the time that could explain Billy Ray Taylor's claim that he saw a bright light streak across the sky and disappear beyond a tree line. Some distance behind the house. This was 1955, right? It was, yes. So, when did World of Worlds take place? Uh, Good question. I don't know. I think it was earlier, though. I was about to say, because people were, for like ten years after that, were still kind of... Spooked? Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Now we have to look that up. I hadn't thought of that. Author Brian Dunning noted that the height of the owls would be comparable to at least the lower end of the reported range of two feet. Yeah. There are simply too many similarities between the creatures reported by the families and an aggressive pair of the local great horned owls, which do stand about two-thirds of a meter tall. French ufologist Renaud Leclay argued in publication that the best explanation of the case is that the residents had simply seen great horned owls. Yeah. Continuing on that thought, ufologist Jerome Clark writes that the supposed creatures floated through the trees and... The sound of bullets striking them resembled bullets striking a metal bucket, because we all know owls are made of metal. Yes. Well, that one is. Bubo, yes. Yes. Clark describes an odd luminous patch along a fence where one of the beings had been shot, and in the woods beyond, a green light whose source could not be determined. However, this description was consistent with foxfire, a bioluminescent fungus on decaying wood. Indeed. Clark also wrote that investigations by police Air Force officers from nearby Fort Campbell and civilian ufologists found no evidence of a hoax. However, Brian Dunning reported, quote, the claim that Air Force investigators showed up the next day at Mrs. Lankford's house has been published a number of times by later authors, but I could find no corroborating evidence of this. Dunning also observed, The four military police who accompanied the police officers on the night of the event were from an army base, not an air force base. I'm not sure that all that makes any difference. It just sounds like something weird's going down. Well, it's just one of those U.S. things of somebody's reporting UFOs again. We gotta go check it out. Some ufologists compared the alleged creatures to gremlins, which have... (laughs) And have since been referred to as the Hopkinsville Goblins in popular culture. Ufologist Alan Hendry wrote, The case is distinguished by its duration and also by the number of witnesses involved. Project Blue Book listed the case as a hoax with no further comment. Now, personally, I tend to think that people know the local fauna where they live. Yeah. Especially if they're on a farm. Yeah. And can probably tell the difference between owls and whatever else this might be. Well, I've always... Owls, while they're 
relatively silent, do have a distinctive screech. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, though, and if I, one of them got hit by a bullet, you would know you hit an owl. Oh yeah. Period. Though, as we do, if you watch enough of the ghosty, cryptidy stuff on YouTube, you definitely see incidents of people taking videos that they swear are UFOs, only for you to wryly comment that they're parachuters or. What are some of the other things that you see? Well, I mean, like, there was one that the the woman, and this sticks with me, and what it is is just a bunch of sparkly stuff in the sky, and she says, are they angels? Woman, yeah. does this thing have 16 wings and a thousand eyes? I doubt they're an angel. <laughs> what was it, though? You it, told me it I was? think it was military chaff. Which I had never heard of, so... It's again. used to block radar, and, and what it is is it's a bunch of, like, slices of metal. It looks like giant confetti. And that's exactly what it is, but it's used to disrupt radar. Yeah. It looks like chaff to me. So there are things that can be explained if you haven't yes. seen them before. I mean, there's the one where you see the one light, it's in the at night, and the one light's falling, and all of a sudden it breaks off into seven. Yeah. Those are flares on night divers' feet. They're supposed to wear them. That's probably a good idea. <laughs> but yes, if you've never seen it before, it does look a little creepy and UFO-like. Yeah, but I'm also, like, I do believe in a lot of stuff, but I also look at everything with a very logical, rational mind. That Occam's razor of, let's eliminate the obvious yes, potential things it's like, oh my god, my house is haunted! No, your pipes are loose and your toilet's backed up. <laughs> like, that's what's wrong. Get a new refrigerator! <laughs> yeah, Moaning Myrtle was not real. Let's just go there. Now, this one's funny. One recent journalist, Betsy Phillips, yeah. who wanted to investigate the situation, muses that perhaps they fail to recognize as owls the creatures because owls walking on the ground look weird as freak. No. Which... <laughs> But she, but she didn't say freaking. No, she didn't. <laughs> Which suggests the next question we might ask, if the little men who attack the house are actually disgruntled owls... Why were they disgruntled? Like, the Suttons weren't any place they were. Oh, because every there were day. 26 people in one house making a bunch of noise near a nest. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, maybe. They never had problems with the owls prior to this night, and presumably then something drove the owls up near the um, house. Not, I, you, all joking aside, which I really didn't agree to, but still, all joking aside, owls can move their territories as well if they're being pushed away, and they may have just moved that territory into there. Could be. Yes. And our journalist, Betsy Phillips, wonders if something wasn't going on at a nearby military base that somehow upset and drove the owls to move. Yeah. As a note, the 1986 comedy horror film Critters... Such a good movie. ...is, shall we say, loosely based on the event. Yeah. Now, you'll have to pronounce this one. The Pokemon? What, the Sabalai? Yes. Yeah. So, and um, from Pokemon, Ruby and Sapphire yeah. is based on the goblins described in the event. In the games, they're animated with a swaying or wading motion based on the creature's reported gait. In the Pathfinder role-playing game, yeah. the Hobkins, a type of gremlin from the Bestiary 5 book, if yeah. you're a nerd like Tony is, it's also based on the goblins described in the event. Okay. Do you see that over there? It seems to be the end of another episode. Oh, okay. God, you had me scared there for a minute. <laughs> I hope everyone Here enjoyed. I was looking out at the porch going, um, should I get the gun? <laughs> <laughs> Please be sure to go on our Facebook page and let us know about your local cryptids and 
Also, five-star reviews on your podcast platform of choice, which I understand we've added a few more recently. We have. We had, we've added uh, three, including iHeartRadio. So if you use iHeartRadio, you can listen to us there. So yes, five-star reviews, pretty please, with sugar and strawberries on top. And maybe also take a gander or a goose at our Patreon. Yeah. That would be mighty nice of you. Indeed. I didn't really have any sort of clean ending for the goblins. It just sort of stopped. You yeah. know? <laughs> In the meantime, we can't wait to see you again next week when we do whatever it is we're going to do at that yeah, time. Yeah, whatever, whatever it is we may be doing at the time. In the meantime, I'm your Carolina girl, Heather. And I'm your Florida man, Tony. Bye, Bye y'all. We need to get some ice cream because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat it. I feel like I'll be gobbling it up. I'm ignoring you again. All right. <laughs>